This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. I am Jason Kong. Good Saturday evening to you. The normal cast and crew is here. We've got Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening, Nicole. So glad to be here. Coffee in hand. You're, you're looking great yes, today. Yes, well, he, he upgraded. I won't mention the brand because I don't think I'm supposed to, but he got a different brand that seems to have a higher quality cup. Ooh. So we're going to stick with this brand. All right. And also here, as always, Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care. Good evening, Cooper. Pleased to be here. Nicole has not realized I sabotaged her cup yet. She'll find out. <laughs> One way or the other. You guys were trading some uh, little league baseball stories some war stories and uh, that got me kind of scared that got me scared it sounds like it's an ordeal it, it, it's actually a fun thing it's great to get kids out there when you have parents involved it's a lot of fun but you're you get that many kids on one pile of of red clay and you're gonna laugh <laughs> you may cry but you may you definitely laugh. yeah you know and as the years have gone on i have a 13 year old and a 10 year old that have been playing since they were in three or four now i just sort of sit back and i watch and i just watch how the families interact and the coaches bite their tongues when somebody's looking the other way when they're supposed to run i mean it Really, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, uh, the stories you guys were telling, and we don't, especially we don't when have it ends at ten thirty at night on a school night, yeah. everyone's delirious. Yeah, this is this is not the MLB, but um, you know, we'll, they they got to play. You know, the kids are having fun, and I guess that's that's the main thing. They're not matters. sitting in the dark playing Nintendo in her parents' basement, so that's a that's a step up. All right? right, that's what I'm doing. You know, that's not what they're doing. <laughs> well, Cooper, uh, before we started the show, we were going over a list of things that we wanted to talk about, and as usual, I uh, I had no idea what any of them meant. Uh, so let's start with home-based and community-based care. Uh, that's that's the first topic that we had down, and I don't know what that is. Can you explain that to me? Well, it's essentially care that is not in a facility. And if you think back, this is the way we used to care for people years ago. We took care of folks at home. And then uh, assisted livings and nursing homes emerged, rehab facilities emerged, we've had hospitals we have long-term acute care hospitals. We have lots of options for care, and they all have their place. They do an excellent job. But the one thing we hear most often is, I want to be home. I want to be in my home with my family. Um, and the data's coming out strongly support the outcomes of that. But it certainly has an implication for caregivers. And we have a guest today who has a unique perspective on this, who is also a baseball parent, since we're in that theme this, <laughs> this evening. Um, Dr. David Fisher, who is with Doctors Making House Calls, is, has joined us this evening. He is a family physician. He's also a geriatrician. He's also board certified in hospice and palliative medicine. He's an author of a book, an all-around swell fella. Because uh, I don't think anybody uses the term swell fella anymore, except for me. My sons informed me that I'm antiquated. Well, he, he gave me an autographed book. I mean, he's a, he, he is a swell fella. That's right. a good way See, to describe if it. If you say it now, it's cool, because there's an age difference between us, Jason. <laughs> I think he might be Beast. Oh, Nicole's <laughs> bringing back Beast. <laughs> Dr. Fisher, this is uh, this is the, apparently it, the new term that everyone it, is using. It's, it's Beast. It's good to be here. My kids would say, I'm, I'm lit. <laughs> yeah, so. What are you but, drinking this evening? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love how these words change over time. When the first time I heard that, I thought the same thing you thought. Um, what have you been into? When I was in college <laughs> so and lit. somebody was lit. Right, yeah. Well, they weren't it, safe to drive. It has changed, so... Uh, but uh, yes, I'm a parent of, of teens myself and uh, uh, baseball parent. I have a 17 year old who plays high school ball. So you just wait. You're you've still. It gets even more intense. Good times so, coming. Yes, yes. 
but it's great to be here. Yes, I'm with uh, Doctors Making House Calls uh, here in the Triangle and consider myself a housecologist. That's my specialty, but uh, yeah, I have a background in geriatrics and that's majority of our patients are older, but the practice serves any age. Uh, someone who wants to have care in their home, they can have a doctor uh, come to the house and there's a lot we can do in the home now. Uh, of course, this is the way, like you said, we used to provide care years ago and uh, it's making a comeback. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So why is it making a comeback? I mean, you just coined that term housecologist. I'm not even sure I said that correctly, but you know, <laughs> Why is that making such a comeback? I, I have my own opinions about it. I want to hear yours. Sure. Well, there's a few reasons. Probably the biggest is cost, uh, but patient preference is another big reason. You talked about the institutions, hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living, et cetera, and they all do an excellent job. But like you said, there's no place like home, and people prefer to be in the comfort of their own home. Uh, we do see the incredible cost that institutions incur to provide good care for people. And so there's a huge cost reduction when you can provide care in the home. So it's less costly and patients prefer it. But we also now have a lot of technology that allows us to bring care to the home that maybe we couldn't do years ago. And so I can have uh, x-rays done on my patient in the home. I can have blood drawn. Uh, ultrasounds. There's a lot of diagnostic things we can do. I also have at my fingertips with an iPad uh, access to all their medical records from hospitals and other places. And so uh, there's an incredible amount now that we can bring to the home. And uh, one reason, another reason I like it as a geriatrician is you really get to see what's actually going on with your patients. Because uh, I have a number of patients who do also like to use the word swell because they're from a <laughs> much older generation. Uh, but they tend to think often of coming to the doctor as an event, like they're going to get dressed up and, yep. you know, tell the doctor everything's going fine. And then I come into the home and say, oh, maybe things aren't going well, so that's fine. That's good there, yeah. yeah. One of the things I think, you know, sometimes we have a little bit of a incorrect lens. In the triangle area here, there seems to be just so many assisted living communities and nursing homes and independent yeah. living communities. But once you start getting to the outer regions of the area, most people really are cared for in the home. And, yeah. you know, we were talking a little bit about offline about how, you know, if, you, if you're admitted to the hospital, chances are years ago, you would have been in the ICU. If you're in a nursing home, chances are you would have been in the hospital. If you're currently in assisted living, chances are you would have been in a nursing home. Right. And if you are in an independent living, chances are you would have been in an assisted living so we are having much more complex patients in the home you know yes. rural or not and in the more rural areas there's less resources and support how are you seeing that impacting the caregiver well the uh the, the practice is expanding like you mentioned the triangle and, and doctors making house calls started in the triangle it has expanded across the state now and we are seeing patients in more rural communities as well and the caregivers often do feel isolated, especially when there's not a, a geographically uh, accessible resource. Um, and I, I know for, for my patients, the caregivers greatly appreciate having somebody come into the home to really get a picture because it's often that case of you don't even know the right questions to ask. Or, you know, I can pick up on something that patient or caregiver might not have even thought of. And so uh, we are, though, unfortunately seeing higher acuity 
moving downstream in terms of these levels of care where where somebody maybe was kept in the hospital for two weeks to recover from pneumonia now they're only there for three days and they're either discharged maybe to a rehab facility for a couple of days but often sent right home and there's discharge instructions and paperwork and all these things that i see a lot of um, information slip through the cracks and so a caregiver is left often on their own and i'll see something like you know follow up with your doctor in two weeks but there's a lot that can happen in those two weeks coming out of the hospital and so we as a practice make it a uh, a policy to follow up with our patients within 48 hours after their discharge from the hospital to look at all the medications, anything that might have changed, et cetera. But yeah, so much more is falling on the caregiver to understand what's going on and, and have a lot more medical knowledge, which they may or may not have. Our guest is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls, and we'll continue our conversation on home-based care in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can dive into more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno over there, Cooper Linton over here, and our guest today is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls, and uh, we're talking about home-based care and the uh, the impact that that has, and Cooper, we're going to transition a little bit, uh, no pun intended there, but we're going to talk about how that uh, that impacts caregivers. Well, before the break, Dr. Fisher was talking about how we've moved more care home. We're able to do more things at home. There's a lot of technology that's available in the home that if you dial the clock back 10 years, really wasn't available. But it has an impact on the people who are at home taking care of a loved one because the acuity level of that patient at home has gone up. You know, I'm working with a caregiver right now who, oh my goodness, you know, it's a, the similar story that you were just telling, the pneumonia, in and out of the hospital, through three times in the last month with pneumonia because comes home, family's desperately trying to provide the support. They don't necessarily have the, the income to bring in 24-7 care, but they're also trying to work and they're trying to provide support and off she goes back to the hospital and off they come back and, you know, it couple of things that are going on with the caregivers are losing their confidence and their ability to provide their loved one. They're feeling guilty about not being able to do what they feel like they need to do. And then, you know, they're, you know, and then when they go to the hospital, the hospital sometimes looks at, looks at them like, you know, you didn't follow the plan of care. Why does she keep coming back? And then you, and then, you know, we at Transitions Guiding Lights provide resources and connect them, but they're so overwhelmed that even though we're providing direct connections, sometimes they don't even follow up with the resources that would provide the support that they yeah. need to keep them out of the hospital. So yeah. that's what we're seeing. What are you seeing? I think overwhelmed is the best term. Uh, this can be completely overwhelming. And when you think about somebody who's in a facility, uh, you're employing three people full time doing eight hour shifts to care for that person. So for one or two people at home who, first of all, aren't trained and are learning this on the fly and two have other jobs and other responsibilities to take care of, it's just so much to ask of someone. And I tell people all the time, you know, it, it, it has nothing to do with how much you care about that person. Sometimes it's just humanly impossible to, to do everything. And so you need to bring in those additional resources. Uh, but what 
one thing that frustrates me about our current system is um, the way things have trended, and I have nothing against hospitalists and hospital medicine, but we have seen this rise of the hospital doctor, and it's just the nature of the way our system is now. I think they do an excellent job. They're very skilled at what they do at taking care of people in the hospital, but it's not somebody who knows you. And then when you discharge home, it's handoff back to the primary care doctor. And a lot of it can be lost in that transition. And so if you don't have a, a community doctor, a primary care doctor who's really on top of things and helping guide you through this, you really can feel like a, a ship lost at sea. You're, you just can't, you don't know what's coming next. I think you bring up a, a valuable point. We have, historically, we had a doctor that knew us longitudinally. Right. And it, and it wasn't uncommon for a physician to treat multiple generations with the same family or multiple persons within that family. Sure. And so they understood the dynamic within that house or households. Yeah. Now that there are these separate hospitalists, a medical director at a nursing facility, um, multiple physicians involved, sometimes that's great, but it also means that the caregiver is often the one that's now trying to knit all these disparate pieces together. They become the point of continuity as opposed to sharing that role of continuity with the physician. And I personally think that leads to part of this sense of being overwhelmed. And the caregivers who I talk with talk about, I feel like everything's fragmented and I'm trying to pull all the pieces together. I don't think that's just a sensation. I think that's their reality. Yes, I think the caregiver does often become the advocate, the point person who has to coordinate all of this. And it is absolutely overwhelming when you're talking about coordinating specialist visits and getting back and forth, transportation. Uh, You know, are all the medicines correct? And, you know, uh, when do I call the doctor? When do I not call the doctor? What, what are the key things I need to be looking for for a potential, do we need to go back to the hospital? Do I need to call 911? You know, all those questions. And, of course, you're going to err on the side of caution. Uh, I would say there are many, many hospitalizations and rehospitalizations that are preventable with a little bit of early intervention, whether it's, you know, someone with congestive heart failure who starts to go toward an exacerbation. And there are some signs, but... You know, they maybe weren't picked up in time. And you got to jump on it while the time is is available. Yeah. Otherwise, you're in the ER. Right. And that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is keeping people out of the emergency room and out of the hospitals. Now, if they need to go, they go. We don't withhold that from them. But um, we have demonstrated, actually, in our practice, a significant reduction in ER visits and hospitalizations. Um, and thankfully... Uh, it's not just our practice. Uh, Medicare is waking up to this to some degree. They're seeing the cost savings. That's their language, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been part of a demonstration project called Independence at Home, which has it's part of the uh, the healthcare law, uh, Obamacare, uh, that uh, allowed us and some other practices throughout the country to demonstrate what we do and we have shown a lot of data has been collected we have shown reduction in cost and a reduction in hospitalizations and er visits which are some of the things that matter to medicare of course but matter to patients and families as well well we often phrase this as in we're saving money and the reality is when people are healthier when they are more well they have a higher level of wellness they are maintained at home where they want to live it is 
secondarily cheaper to do that. It's less expensive when people aren't as sick. And if we can keep them at home, they're better off. Yeah, an ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. And, you know, more expensive care doesn't necessarily mean better care. It just, you know, you want to avoid having to have a lot of money spent on you as terms of health care. You'd like to keep that at a lower cost if you can for a lot of reasons. So, and again, we're not withholding. If people need expensive care, you know, they get it. But there are many things that happen that maybe could have been avoided, especially in the older population. You know, one of the things that scares me that, to death is, you know, we sit here as talking heads talking about people working in the industry, the silver tsunami, it's coming, it's coming. All these baby boomers are getting older and they're going to start to need care. I, and clearly demonstrated by the fact that we've moved from two caregiver summits to four, you know, and they're filling up rapidly and, and it's just exploding. You know, we, we have a really big um, crisis on our hands as far as being able to find direct care workers, people who are actually going to be able to physically provide this care for individuals who are going to need it because not everybody's cut out to do this work. And what I'm seeing is that families who don't have the financial means to provide this physical care for their mm -hmm. loved ones, even temporarily, mm -hmm. ha don't have the financial resources necessarily to pay to have someone to do it. But even if they do, mm -hmm. these, these agencies that provide these resources can't find workers to actually do the work. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, if there are some conversations at the level of the physicians of sort of how are we going to handle this this group of people that we know is coming there's no stopping it we're getting older every single day god knows i know every time i stand up i feel it right you know what are we going to do well we believe obviously our practice that home care is going to be a big part of that and hopefully the system is going to be set up to accommodate more and more care in the home I mean, the way we operate, we're not a concierge practice, but we do charge an out-of-pocket trip fee when someone comes to the house. That's really the only difference between us and a regular practice. Um, but that is a cost for people to, to incur. Uh, we're hoping that there will be more and more financial support for more doctors to do this because another big pro of home care is doctors like it. And nurse practitioners and PAs in our practice love doing what we do because it's an opportunity to you get to know them to you get, get to, to know spend the more than 10 and, minutes <laughs> and that's why i went to med school you know it wasn't to uh you know fill out a whole bunch of forms all day long it was to <laughs> it wasn't to maximize the 12 minute encounter <laughs> you <laughs> actually believe wanted it or to help not, patients there wasn't even a class on that in medical school <laughs> believe it or not uh that's right but unfortunately that's where so much of outpatient medicine has gone and so you know, my average house call is an hour long because I can, I need to talk to the patient, the family, the caregiver, you know, and, and I love it. So uh, we hope more and more it is going to get back to that getting to know your patient, having that person that knows all the dynamics because they're all very different. And I think we, need, we should talk about advanced care planning as well because, you know, that's a big piece of this. And again, the dynamic may be completely different family to family. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a topic that we we love talking about on this show, and we will definitely dive into advanced directives, and we'll do that in just a bit. Our guest is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, which is a service of Transitions Life Care. You can always find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. This show is a service of Transitions Life Care. I'm Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, Cooper Linton here with me as well. And our special guest this evening, Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls. And Cooper, uh, I need to make, a, in radio we call it a sounder, but uh, maybe some sort of fanfare when we talk about advanced directives because it's one of our favorite things to talk about. I'm thinking some sort of horns and trumpets. You know, it's it's a very serious topic, but it's it's so important, and we can't stress that enough. And I'm glad we're going to be talking about it some more today. Well, we probably could have like the sound of feet stepping up and down <laughs> off of a soapbox because this one is my my favorite perch of of all. You perk up a little bit. When I we, perk we up when we start this. talking about advanced directives because I feel like it's an area where people can have far greater impact and influence over their lives and over the lives of their loved ones. If they do something which is, from a legal perspective, actually very, very simple, uh, I think from a cognitive and emotional perspective, it's really more complex than sometimes people mm-hmm. make it out to be. As, as a friend called me one time and said, I don't want to be kept alive on tubes and wires. And I said, well, the conversation is a little more complex than tubes and wires. We are not hooking up vacuums and ignition systems in a car. <laughs> However... It, it opened that door for a conversation. And uh, Dr. Fisher and I, and I know Nicole has as well, talked about advanced directives on many occasions. And when you start talking about caring for patients at home and the possibility of what do we do when care at home isn't getting us what we necessarily want, it opens up a discussion of what are my wishes, what are my plans, and what do I have documented and who knows. Yep, I'm assuming you run into this routinely. All, all the time, you know, by nature, most of our patients have difficulty leaving the home. It's not a requirement to get home care, but, you know, most people do. And so, by nature, they have chronic illnesses, and they're uh, getting to a stage where we have to make some of these difficult decisions. And I always find it, as you're saying, uh, much better to have those conversations separate from any sort of crisis. You don't want to be making these decisions on the fly or in the midst of some kind of health crisis. And so when we talk about advanced directives, uh, these are, for those who don't know, a document or documents that give somebody a chance to outline their wishes of what they would or would not want in certain medical situations. And people have heard of some of these, like a DNR, a living will, uh, something called a most form, and they all play their different roles. But yes, not only is the the medical situation complex, but even navigating these documents can be complex. And so uh, I find that going through this process, though, the most valuable thing is having the conversation. So the document itself, of course, plays a role, but the best part about it is you as a patient have sat down with the people that matter to you and hopefully with people who are providing your medical care like your doctor and have had the opportunity to say, Here's what's important to me. Yes. Now, I have personally been the recipient of the surprise. You are the healthcare agent of what do you want to do? Uh-huh. Yes. That's, wow. And, so. and if you haven't had any discussion ahead of time. Boom. Right, yeah. right. And so, yeah, so I, I really, I feel very strongly about do not create these documents in isolation. You, you might be in the middle of doing your estate planning and they'll say, you know, and fill out these forms mm-hmm. too. This is a good idea to do this as part of your estate. Mm-hmm. Super important though, if you're naming people 
that you trust to make wishes for you to actually discuss what <laughs> those wishes know. are. <laughs> yeah. Because then you're that's even a bigger burden placed right. on that person, especially if you're naming somebody who wouldn't who's sort of out of the order of which the doctors would look to, which was well, my case, right. yeah, <laughs> uh, right. um, to make those decisions. So you brought up maybe the most important one, in my opinion, which is the healthcare power of attorney. Yes. And this is the person that you designate as your decision maker if you are not able in a position to verbalize your wishes or make decisions. And that person should, of course, be someone you trust and someone you've had a conversation with about, here's what's important to me. Because I have seen situations where you know, a power of attorney, to their credit, made a decision on behalf of a loved one that they may not have made themselves but they were recognizing that their job was to honor that person's wishes and to act on their behalf. And I think that's a big thing. You know, I think sometimes, and this is something that I have seen over and over again with families through years in working in social work when I worked in nursing homes and people were trying to pick who their healthcare power of attorney was going to be. And they almost feel obligated to choose their spouse or their son or daughter. Right. But that person may not be emotionally strong enough perhaps to actually follow what that loved one's wishes because maybe they don't want to let them go or or maybe they feel like they should let them go but this person really wants everything done for them and so that is super important because you are trusting that person to make the decision as if they were you in the instance that you can't do it for yourself well i had the gentleman who chose his wife as his uh recipient of his will and his ex-wife as his healthcare power of attorney because he didn't want his current wife to pull the plug on him to get his money. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but you don't put that in the hands of your ex-wife. She's going to pull the plug anyway, and right? welcome to the Peyton Place of healthcare. <laughs> I guess the point is every dynamic is different, and this is why we have to have these conversations to find out who does the person trust. So we were laughing earlier because of my uh, my preference for old-fashioned language such as swell and cool. Mm-hmm. But here's another old-fashioned word that I think we need to use more commonly with advanced care planning, and that's moxie. You know, if you're identifying somebody as your health care power of attorney, they need to have the moxie, the willpower, and the willingness to put your wishes ahead of even their own. Mm-hmm. And I think you alluded to this a moment ago, Dr. Fisher, at at some point, you're making the decisions, you're executing decisions on behalf of someone else, not yourself. And I had this conversation with a nurse one night uh, regarding my mother's care, and the nurse said, are these your wishes? Uh, and I said, yeah. well, th- they happen to be, but most relevantly, they are her wishes, and right. that's why we're following them. The fact that I agree with them really isn't part of the equation this evening. That's right. And so having a conversation is a key because if the person doesn't know what your wishes are, then they obviously can't represent them well. Right. What do you want? Who's in charge? And also who's not in charge? If you're in part of a big family, 12 people making a, a, a decision at the bedside usually doesn't go well. That's right. You really need that point person. And the classic story that doctors hate to talk about is the long lost relative who flies in from the West Coast and suddenly wants Seattle. to change everything that everyone has been talking about for years. And the point is, if you haven't put in place this paperwork, that person may have just as much legal right because there is a hierarchy. If you don't have a healthcare power of attorney in place, mm-hmm. it does naturally then go to spouse and then adult children, and, and there's a whole host of, of hierarchy from there. And getting a healthcare power of attorney in place is fairly simple. 
It's really just naming that person, putting it, get, getting the actual paperwork, and mm -hmm. having it notarized. Um, you don't have to have a lawyer even to do it, right. so it's it's helpful to get that in place. So I know um, this sort of transitions nicely to, you know, a lot of times families make promises when they're younger about things like, you know, I'll never going to put you in a home okay, right. without understanding what that means. And, you know, I'd like to start to touch on and perhaps continue on to the next segment of what are some of the key factors that would kind of determine when a person has to move from their independent home, perhaps to the next level. And even sometimes the role that the healthcare power of attorney may play in that if that loved one perhaps has something like a dementia and can't make that decision on their own. Sure. Well, there are a number of factors. That's one reason I wrote the book about keeping mom out of a nursing home. But uh, I, I don't have anything against nursing homes, and they are necessary at times. And so when we talk about levels of care, you, of course, have home. Then you have an independent living facility, which is very much like home. They may provide some meals and things. But when you get to an assisted living where you have some nurses and aides on staff and then a nursing home is even higher level, all of these uh, depend upon really what we call the activities of daily living, which is a uh, common in geriatrics language. These are the abilities to perform your function independently. So things like dressing, bathing, using the toilet, uh, eating, feeding yourself. If you begin to lose some of the abilities to do that yourself, that's when placement in another type of facility or bringing some, some extra help in may be required. Our guest is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls, and we'll continue our conversation in just a bit here on Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, who is online at transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong. Good Saturday evening to you. Nicole Bruno is here. Cooper Linton is here, and our special guest this evening, Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls. He's also got a book that he uh, very kindly autographed and, and gave us a, a copy earlier, How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of a Nursing Home. And again, that's by Dr. David Fisher. I, I'm assuming we can find this on Amazon. Amazon. It is available on Amazon. Just search how to keep mom and you'll find it there. Perfect. Perfect. Amazon. I'm not giving them a commercial. <laughs> Everything's available. But, uh, and to think they were chapter nice 13 so many years maybe ago. They could, I know. They, they turned could that drone around. deliver it to your door Whoa, later this yes. evening. Maybe. Ooh, <laughs> drop it right off. That would be neat. You could, you know, be like a wide receiver in the NFL, just catching the book out of the air. And I tell you, when you order right something and it gets there the next few hours, that is pretty shocking. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the timing of that, it's it's odd, but it's, it it's nice. It's a little maybe bit addictive, too. Doctors. Ooh. Oh, there we go. We partner with them. Doctor by drone. That's our new business model. <laughs> there we go. We're onto something. We're onto I can't imagine you wanting to be dropped off in a drone, though. That, <laughs> that might be a, a little it, bit It might scary. just be the camera that zooms in. It's oh, his yeah. eyes. Ooh, Shark Tank wow. idea. Robo-doc. Robo <laughs> Submit the application. I've always wanted to be a superhero. There you go. Robo there you go. We are on yeah. a roll. We are lit. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> She means we're excited, <laughs> just for clarification. We might sound lit, though, too, yeah, huh? That's right. I don't know what's in that coffee. I can't speak for you. Saturday night. But, that's uh, right. That's yeah. right. 
<laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's let's we're having too much fun here. We let's, are. We let's are. get back on track. Cooper, I, I finally uh, I finally have some understanding of what community and home based care is. So uh, you've you've done your job for today. You've taught me something. I finally got something done. I waited till Saturday to get anything done. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, you know this this is just a fascinating topic, and you know, as we mentioned before, it's it's something that's growing and it's it's filling a need. And you know, as the technology progresses, I, I think this is something that's going to continue to get more and more popular. Well, and caregivers are going to continue to have to deal with some of these challenges, both at home and then how to deal with the challenges of recognizing home may not always be the place. Right. It's not always the place for all care. It may be our preferred place, but it may not be the safest place either for the patient or for the caregiver. And to Dr. Fisher's point earlier, there's a big difference between three people taking a 24-hour shift and one person taking a 24-hour shift seven, seven days. days a week. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the time I spend on the phone with caregivers is really letting go of that guilt of that promise because you're not going to do that loved one any good if you literally just can't do it. And so, and I don't think, you know, most loved ones would want you to suffer, right? If they're truly loved ones and you have that type of relationship. So kind of really recognizing even as a caregiver, when you're at that burned out point and you just need either to bring in some help or perhaps place your loved one, it's okay. That's I'm, right. I'm sure you have those conversations all I the do. time. And there are certainly cases where uh, being in a senior facility is to the advantage of the patient. So there are examples, dementia for one thing, and we could do obviously a whole show on dementia, but uh, when someone is losing those cognitive abilities and are not safe to be left alone, um, that can be very isolating uh, for the patient and the caregiver. And there are cases of you know, being able to move to an assisted living where you have a community of people at a similar level who uh, social engagement is actually huge for dementia and for maintaining cognitive function. And so that may actually be a more advantageous environment uh, for someone who's in the early or even certainly in the middle and later stages of dementia because they're simply not safe to be at home. Even if you have somebody on site with them, you know, it's confusion, it's getting up, it's falling, it's, uh, you know, not, not, not knowing how to manage themselves. Um, Continence is actually a big issue that people don't like to talk about, but if you can't get back and forth to the bathroom, that becomes a huge burden on families and caregivers to have to just deal with that situation. Uh, I always proactively ask my patients how that's going. If your doctor doesn't ask you about it, volunteer that information, especially if you or, or the person you're caring for are having issues with continence. People are just embarrassed to talk about it. I mean, yeah, we're, we're embarrassed to talk about continence, either bowel or bladder, and we don't want to talk about money. Well, and those, sure. are, those are the issues where people get really private. And at the same time, those are often drivers for where care goes and what care may, you may require just to be safe and maintain good skin integrity. That's right. And when we think about the trajectory of somebody, um, it, we do see that in order to maintain just one's own ability to, to get up out of a chair, to walk around, to, to maintain these activities of daily living, you have to stay active in it. And there does come a, a point of no return sometimes when you lose these abilities. That's why, um, you know, when somebody, for example, goes into the hospital for an injury or a hip fracture or something, 
we really get on the physical therapy right away to regain that muscle strength because if you're in the hospital just a few days as an older person you lose a ton of muscle strength and just the ability to walk so maybe you've recovered from your pneumonia or whatever but now you're having great difficulty just getting up and around these are all things that an assisted living uh, or, or senior living facility might be able to really encourage somebody to maintain whereas it's a huge burden for a single or caregiver or someone at home to help someone keep up with. I'd like to switch gears for a moment just to uh, caregiver education. You know, we've been talking a lot on the show about the upcoming caregiver summits. And I know that you've spoken at them in the past and have participated in, in different ways. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what the importance of caregiver education is and, and you know, what you feel about these summits and why people should consider going. Well, I think you learn so much and you may not even know the right questions to ask. And so uh, places where people who are experts in this issue are gathered, a wonderful place to just glean a ton of information where you can actually ask more educated questions than going forward. Uh, many people are thrown into this and <clears throat> don't understand even what the different levels of care may be, what resource, resources are available. So it's, it's thankfully, it's not just between I'm at home or I'm in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. You have a huge variety now of different types of resources. And you don't know what you don't available. know. That's right. It's exactly. eye-opening. <laughs> very eye-opening yeah. and, and very helpful to be able to look ahead to what might be coming. You know, not only medically, and that's a lot of what my book is about, is what are some of the medical concerns that might put somebody in a case where they need a nursing home care. Uh, but also just practically speaking, financially, mm -hmm, definitely. it's a huge issue, of course. You know, what, how can we look ahead and prepare for you know, potential crises? How are we going to deal with each of these situations that may come up down the road? So, yeah, there's a ton of wisdom to be gained at Caregiver Summit and also support groups and other resources that, that you all provide. So I know a lot of people listening to you are probably super interested about having you do a visit for one of their loved ones, if not themselves. <laughs> um, talk to us a little bit about how folks can get a hold of Doctors Making House Calls, how they can uh, schedule an appointment and what, what that all entails. Sure, well, um, it's doctorsmakinghousecalls.com, all spelled out, or the phone is 919-932-5700. And we take all insurance, we take Medicare, uh, supplemental insurance, and there's no age limit, young or old, in terms of the patients that we see. We can usually get out to see somebody uh, within a day, within 24 hours. Um, we see patients seven days a week. I don't like being that weekend doctor on call, but I do do it uh, <laughs> Everybody takes several times turn, a year, and they? everybody takes their turn. So, uh, and we, we do urgent visits uh, same day if people need it. Um, I generally see my, my home-based patients about every 90 days, but of course, when a crisis comes up, we can get right out there and see them. Dr. David Fisher, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a, a great conversation, and uh, I know you've been on with us in the past, and we, we really thank you for your time and coming out tonight. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Again, that website, if you're interested in finding more information about them, doctorsmakinghousecalls.com. It's very simple. I'm sure you could Google that as well. Phone number is 919 932-5700. And we did mention Dr. Fisher's book, which is How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of a Nursing Home. Again, you can find that on Amazon or you can Google it. I'm sure there are probably a couple other bookstores 
that carry it as well. Before we leave tonight, got to get some housekeeping done and remind you that uh, the Caregiver Summits are still coming up. Uh, first one is in Raleigh, June 13th. Uh, you can sign up and learn more information at caregiversummit.org. That's caregiversummit.org. And uh, the next one is shortly after that in Durham, Tuesday, June 13th. 20th. Again, caregiversummit.org to sign up. You can find more information as well at WPTF.com in the Aging Matters section of the show. And you can go back and listen to this episode and every other episode that we've done as well. Thank you so much for joining us this Saturday evening. We hope to catch you again next Saturday at 7 for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF.